Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. God had faithfully taken the children of Israel out of their enslavement in Egypt and provided for them through the desert wilderness. He revealed His nature through the giving of His moral law. He gave them a civil law to abide by. He also gave them a ceremonial law. Now, God is appointing Aaron as priest, an intercessor between man and God. We were observing the plans for the priestly garment and how those point to our own high priest, Jesus. We join Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 28, verse 12. Notice earlier in verse 12, it mentions that they are also a memorial unto the children of Israel. These stones serve to remind not just Aaron, but Israel, that when they saw the high priest, that this man was their representative. Thus, in a sense, if God accepted him, the high priest, then God accepted all of them. And isn't that an awesome promise? Every time they saw the priest going in and out and that God was okay with that, it encouraged them and reminded them that God had accepted them. And here we see the two basic functions or roles of the high priest. Number one, to represent God to the people. He would go out before the people and he would represent God to them. Secondly, to represent the people to God. He would go in before the Lord as their representative to present them and their needs and their requests and their heart's desire to the Lord. How does the ephod point to Jesus? Well, when we looked at the fabric used for the curtains, we explained how the blue represented heaven. The sky is blue. That's a common reference that the Old Testament scriptures use. The scarlet is actually like a clay color, and it represented earth. And therefore, the purple, which is the in-between, it spoke of the incarnation, heaven and earth combining. So we already talked about that. I don't want to spend too much time on that. We're going to see a lot in the priest's garments. So the high priest is speaking to us about the incarnation, the idea that God became man. The fine white linen, we also learned, was a symbol of human righteousness. The idea is that's woven into it too, that the high priest was to be a righteous man. Jesus is a right. He was perfectly righteous, right? He knew no sin. And then gold was a symbol of God's purity. So used together here, we see God's purity coming to earth and living life as the perfect man. Heaven meeting earth in Jesus. So it's a picture of the incarnation. But what's my point? The ephod does point to the incarnation of Jesus as God who became man, but so much more. See, it identifies Jesus as the God-man who is our priest right now. And this is one of the premises of the book of Hebrews. So turn to Hebrews chapter 2 with me. Now, a little bit of introduction. The book of Hebrews is written. It doesn't tell us who the author was. There's lots of ideas out there. That's not important right now. But the writer was writing to Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, who were being persecuted for their faith. And they were thinking about going back to Judaism, forsaking Jesus, and going back to Judaism because it was so hard. If you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, you remember there's a scene in there where his daughter, Tavier's daughter, marries a Russian young man, and he's not Jewish. Because of this, she has now left the faith, so to speak. And so when she comes to plead with him to, to listen to her and to talk to her, he, she says, you know, Papa, I'm your daughter. And he turns to her and he says, I have no daughter. My daughter is dead. If you ever left the Jewish faith, that's how they treated you. They wouldn't, they treated you if you were dead. So if you came to buy, they wouldn't sell to you. If you needed to sell, they wouldn't buy from you. They wouldn't interact with you at all. So you can imagine how difficult it was to be a Jewish Christian who has left the faith, so to speak, and and now no one will buy from you, no one will sell to you, no one will interact with you. And you don't have anything in common with the Gentiles, so you really feel alone. So they were thinking of going back to those Old Testament sacrifices, going back to Judaism. And so the writer of Hebrews is explaining throughout this book that there's nothing to go back to because that's all a shadow and Jesus is the substance. So it fits really well 
with what we're studying in Exodus. So Hebrews 2, verses 16 and 17, check this out. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, that's Jesus, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He was born as a Jewish man. Wherefore, because of this, he he took on flesh, the incarnation. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him, or it had to be made this way, that he was made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful what? What does it say? High priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. From the very beginning, he begins to establish that Jesus is our high priest right now. And as such, when we find, look at these garments, we're going to find the incarnation all throughout them. What's interesting when you look at the ephod, Jesus carries us each by name on his shoulders as he represents us to the father. In 1 John, you don't need to turn there, but if you're taking notes, it's in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and you're familiar with it, for it says this, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. See, he's the one who goes before us, and he represents us to the Father. He carries us on his shoulders by name and represents us to the Father. And see, Jesus, he came out from the presence of the Father to show us what he was like. So he's doing the function of the priest. In Hebrews 1 through 1 verse 3, it mentions that Jesus is the express image of the Father. So not only does he represent us before the Father, but he represents the Father to us. Remember when Philip was with Jesus in those last day, last hours before he was going to go to the cross? And Philip said, Jesus, just show us the Father and that will be enough. And what did Jesus say? Philip... Have you been so long with me that you don't know that having seen me, you've seen the Father? So he comes out. He came out from heaven. He came down and took upon himself our form, our nature. And as a result, he showed the Father to us. So it's so much more than just the idea of God becoming man, but God becoming man as our high priest. And you know what's awesome? Because he was accepted by the Father. When we see him, we can know that we are accepted by our faith in him as well. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, we are accepted in the beloved. And who is the beloved? God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In Christ, the beloved of the Father, we are accepted. Amen? (laughs) Well, while this ephod would eventually wear out, it shows that Aaron's priesthood wasn't supposed to last forever. But Jesus's does. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 with me. Hebrews chapter 1, I love it because he's just hinting at it right at the very beginning of this book. Referring to this establishment, you know, all the heavens and everything that, you know, the way we see it. He says in verse 11 of Hebrews 1, they shall perish, but you, referring to Jesus, remain. And they all shall wax old as does a garment. And as a vesture shall you fold them up and they shall be changed. But you are the same and your years shall not fail. Jesus is our high priest forever. One last thing, the sash. Turn to John 13 with me. A familiar passage to us. It says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And after supper was, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rose from supper 
and he laid aside his garments and he took a towel and he girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. You know how many times the gird word is used there? Towel, girded. He takes upon himself the form of a servant, the sash, and he begins to minister to them by washing their feet. The high priest existed to serve the people and Jesus is our great high priest, the one who lives forever to minister to us. Amen. Well, the next piece, we go back to Exodus 28, is the breastplate. The breastplate here, it mentions in verse 15 of chapter 28 of Exodus. He says, and you shall make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. After the work of the ephod, you shall make it. So similar to the ephod. Of gold, of blue, of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twine linen shall you make it. Four square it shall be, being doubled, A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. So the breastplate, it was more cloth than metal, although it was made the same as the ephod, so it had the gold wire thread in it as well. It calls it the breastplate of decision. That's what the word judgment means. The word decision here was usually uh, referred to uh, court cases, thus serious decisions, which is why they use the word judgment. More on that later. It mentions here that it was, in verse 16, doubled, which means it was folded. So you would make it, and then you would fold it up like this, and then it would form a pouch in the middle. Again, we'll get to that later when we get to verse 30. Now, it gives the measurements here. It says it'll be four square A span shall be the length and the breadth of it. A span is a half a cubit, so about nine inches. So this would make the breastplate nine inches square, so not very large, less than a foot. Now this thing it mentions that it will go over the ephod. It says, verse 17, or it says it go over the ephod, but then in verse 17 it gives some more details about what it will look like. And you shall set in it settings for stones. It says of stones in King James. It means four stones. Even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row will be a ligure, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. And they shall be set in gold in their in- closings, the settings that they'll be snapped into. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel. Twelve, according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Every one with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. So you would have four rows of three. So one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Okay? Each with an individual tribe named on it. So you'd have one Asher and Levi and whatever. You'd have each of the 12 tribes named on these stones that were there. An individual stone for an individual tribe. So as the onyx stones on the shoulders represented the nation as a whole... These individual stones were for each, for each tribe, meant that the high priest brought each individual person before God as well. And so, which is interesting because, you know, that shows us that while God cares about us collectively, he also cares about us individually. And even though the stones were different, notice they're all called precious stones by God. And do you know that you're individually of great value to him? That you're precious to him, even though you say, oh, no, I'm not. God doesn't love me like he loves this guy over here. You know, I know God loves him, but, you know, I'm just kind of whatever, you know. No, you are a precious stone in his breastplate. You are precious and valuable to him, even though you're different. Now we get to verse 22, and it begins to give some more details. And you shall make upon the breastplate chains at the end of wreathen work of pure gold. So cords or chains, just like the ephod. Remember you had the front 
plate of the ephod, the back plate, and he had chains that connected it to the stones. Well, now on top of that goes this folded thing with a pouch, has stones on it as well, and then they would have golden chains that would go up there as well. And you shall make upon the breastplate two rings of gold. That's where the chains or these cords would go in. And you shall put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And you shall put the two wreathen chains of gold in the two rings, which are on the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two wreathen chains you shall fashion in the two Ushas, the two settings on the shoulders where the stones went. And you shall put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. So in the same way that the ephod snapped into place, the same thing, that's how the breastplate would snap in. It would have these chains that would go up and would snap in on the shoulders. Okay? So it's kind of like Legos. Verse 26. And you shall make two rings of gold, and you shall put them upon the two ends of the breastplate in the border thereof, which is in the side of the ephod inward. So you're going to put them down here on the bottom of it, but on the side. What for? It says down here in verse 27. And two other rings of gold shall you make, and you shall put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath toward the forepart thereof, the front thereof, over against or opposite the other coupling, the other ones that are up here, above the curious girdle of the ephod. And you shall bind the breastplate by those rings thereof into the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue. So the breastplate would snap on on the top through those settings up there with the stones. And then in the bottom, it would snap to the ephod through these rings. And it mentions with a lace of blue. So the the word lace means a braided cord. So you'd have a blue, just a totally blue braided cord that would attach it to the ephod and make it secure on the bottom that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod, and that the breastplate shall not be loosed from the ephod. So, that was a mouthful. <laughs> so, is everybody okay, though? The idea is that this is how it's going to... Because otherwise, you got this loose thing hanging around, it's swinging everywhere and stuff, you know. The idea is that these gold chains, these cords, would snap into the, the from the ephod and the breastplate on the bottom, and then on the top, you'd have, you know, the, the top of the breastplate to the top of the suspenders, okay? So that's how all this stuff would snap in and work. Now, I might be saying, why? Well, what's interesting, when you look at this lace of blue, this braided cord of blue, anytime something's different, it's significant. Why didn't they weave in red and scarlet with that? Well, turn with me to Numbers 15. And I'm going to read a story to you that most of us read in the Bible, and we kind of shake our head, and we go, Wow. That's heavy. Verse 32. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in ward in jail because it was not declared what should be done to him. What do we do? He broke the Sabbath. And the Lord said unto Moses, the man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And so all the congregation brought him outside the camp and they stoned him with stones and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Now, this is one of those moments when you kind of open your Bible and sometimes we just close it back up and we go, I'm going to forget I read that and we're going to move on. We read this and of course our initial impression is dude was gathering sticks. What's the problem? But remember, he's doing it on the Sabbath day and he's not, well, it doesn't mean he was just out going, I like this stick. Kill him, you know? <laughs> that was not how this worked. He's out there doing work. He's doing work for that day. And the implication that we're going to get in a moment to is that he was a bit careless. He didn't realize what day it was, and he didn't make it important in his heart. 
And so when they found him doing it, obviously no one else is working. Like, what are you doing, dude? He's like, I'm working. We got to make wood or whatever, you know? And they, no, no good. And he's like, I got to do this. And so they you know, tell Moses and they arrest him. And then the Lord says, he broke the Sabbath. He needs to be put to death. Now, there's a couple things that we need to understand here. Maybe you've run into somebody or maybe even you have thought to yourself, Lord, why, why is there hell? I have a friend that has asked me, he says, I don't know if I can be a Christian, but I don't believe that hell is deserved. When we see God take such a strict line with such a simple infraction, instead of saying, wow, why was God so harsh? Maybe we should ask the question of, wow, how horrible is sin that something that simple should incur that much of a penalty? Do you see what I'm saying? I think we take the long line of reasoning. We assume that our understanding of right and wrong and righteousness is higher than God's. And when we do that, I think we mistake understanding how ugly and how nasty and how wrong sin is. So we read this story and it's pretty rough. And yet we're aware of just how perfect God is and how he demanded perfection from his people. But this is the cool part. Let's keep reading. Now, after this happens, you can only imagine the impact because they weren't different than us. It's not like they're walking around going, yeah, that dude deserved to die. He gathered sticks. I'm sure that there were probably some people going, wow, do we really want Jehovah to be our God? I mean, this is, I mean, this is rough. Look at the Lord here. This is how he speaks to Moses after this pretty traumatic event. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, speak unto the children of Israel and bid them that they make them fringes on the borders of their garments, little tassels in the bottom of their their clothes. Throughout their generations, they should always do this. And here's what they're gonna do. They're gonna put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue, little tassel of blue. And it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them so that you will not seek after your own heart and your own eyes after which you used to go a whoring, that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. For I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. You know what God's communicating to Moses? I don't want to punish you people. I don't want to do this, but my holiness demands it. My righteousness demands it. So remind the people, tell them to make in their clothes these little blue tassels on the bottom of their their garments and to remind them that I want to be merciful and I want to be gracious and I want to be good. So to remind them not to go after their own heart. See, the blue tassels were an act of mercy and grace, extra protection by reminding them of their responsibilities before God. And you know, when we start putting the pieces together in the ephod and the breastplate, we see that all these connections actually make the outfit sturdy. But I love how it's all held together by something that reminded them of mercy and grace. This whole cord that would go around the waist that was purely of blue. The same blue that they would have on their tassels to remind them to not walk away from the Lord and not do things their own way. You know, the high priest would need that reminder of grace when he approached a holy God. Back in Exodus 28 and verse 29, we see the purpose of the breastplate. It says, and Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goes in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. She whereas the ephod with the, the stones up here with the nation of Israel engraved on it reminded Aaron that he represented the people before God. The breastplate reminded him that so much more was at stake. See, he had to truly love these people if he was to accurately represent them before Almighty God. But a second memorial, it says it was to be a memorial before the Lord, a reminder to the Lord. See, a second job of these stones, when the Lord would see Aaron come in and he would see the breastplate with every individual tribe named, it was to remind God that these were his special people that he brought out to bless and to know, not to judge. Do you think God needs that reminder? 
He doesn't need that reminder, but it's his way of showing us that he'll never forget his goodwill toward us. Do you know that God is for you, that he never forgets you? He doesn't. Well, how does this point to Jesus? Well, the material that the breastplate's made of, it speaks of the incarnation again, the purple and the gold and the linen and the scarlet and all that. But there's more. He's not just the God man who became our high priest, but he carries us on his heart before the Lord with great sympathy. Turn to Hebrews 4 with me. We've already learned from Hebrews 2 that he became a man like us, not just to do that, not even just to die for us, but that he might be made like unto his brother and that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest that he might understand what we go through. Verse 14 of chapter 4 in Hebrews begins to elaborate more on this topic. Hebrews 4, verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let's not give up. Remember, these Hebrew Christians were thinking about giving up. He says, let's not give up. For we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infir- feeling of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is a sympathetic high priest. He understands our weaknesses. He carries us on his heart before the Lord with great sympathy. And not only that, he can help. So it says in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God. So he can offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. But here we see one of the other jobs of the priest was this, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself is also compassed or surrounded with an infirmity. See, when you would come to the tabernacle and you would walk up with little Fluffy, Aaron would look at you and he'd go, hi, James, how you doing? Well, not so good. I see, what's going on? Why is Fluffy here? Well, Aaron, I, I lost my temper with the kids again. Again? Again. I understand. I do that too sometimes. You know what though? Let's make it right with God. He forgave me and he can forgive you. And then they'd go in and do it. See, Jesus, to understand what it was like for us, he had to do the same. He had to become a man so he could understand our weaknesses. Now, the cool part is unlike Aaron, Aaron couldn't say, you know what? I've never done that or I've overcome that every time. Let me show you how. When we come to Jesus, he goes, I understand. And let's go before the Lord, but let me also show you, I can beat this through you. So he's a superior high priest, you know? That's why he's our great high priest. So Jesus, he is our great high priest who can have compassion on us and be sympathetic towards us. He carries us on his heart with great sympathy before the Lord. Isn't that awesome? The blue lace, it speaks of how it's by grace we are saved. The only way that we can approach a holy God. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 21. Here it is again. And having a high priest over the house of God, referring to Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith because we've had our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, we come to God by grace and we're accepted by him. Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God and we have access into this grace wherein we stand. So that blue lace that held everything together, it was a reminder to us, it speaks of how Christ, as by his grace, we put faith in him. It's by his grace we're saved and we can approach a holy God knowing we are fully accepted. We never have to be afraid. Maybe I'll leave you with this. It also recalls a special instance. Do you remember in the book of Luke, the woman who was very sick, she had been to doctors and no one could help her out at all. And the woman reached out to touch the hem of Jesus's garment, right? I wonder what she grabbed because all good Jews had the hem of their garments with what? 
blue tassels. She knew who her high priest was. And she was reaching out in faith, touching that emblem of grace and mercy, that reminder that God was for them and not against them, and that he wanted to bless them. And she reached out in faith that he would have grace and mercy upon her if she would just but touch that emblem of grace at the hem of his garment. And what did Jesus do? Sure enough, he did heal her. And he wants to do the same for you and me. When we reach out to him in grace, we say, Lord, I don't deserve anything, but I have a need. And I come to you on that basis. The Bible says that we are received by him. For God resists the proud, but he gives what to the humble? Grace to the humble. Amen. Why don't we all stand as the worship team comes forward and join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that you are indeed our great high priest. You are so worthy and so awesome. You became man, not just to become man and not even just to die for our sins. That was what it culminated in. But Lord, you did it so that you might be our high priest, our great high priest, one who understands us, Lord, and yet was without sin, so that not only can we be forgiven and we can come to you, find mercy and grace and help in our time of need, but we can receive power as well to overcome our sin. Lord, help us to remember that, to stay humble. Lord, to grab hold of the hem of your garment, even as that woman did, knowing that when we humble ourselves, you are so very gracious. Thank you for your love, Lord. We praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is our high priest. He goes before us to God and intercedes on our behalf. This means that he knows our struggles, having lived on this earth completely human. This also means he is for us. He is not against us. He loves us. He is a great high priest. While we are in this time of a global pandemic, don't be afraid to call and ask for assistance or for prayer. Our office may be closed, but you can still reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.